The Gospel lesson for this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 8. So listen now for the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, to the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Theologian and mother Stephanie Paulsell dis distinctly remembers the cold Chicago day that she brought her daughter home from the hospital. Wheeled out the front doors of the hospital where she and her daughter had been well tended to by doctors and nurses, she crossed the threshold into the big, frightening world. Loading the baby carrier into the car and driving more cautiously than they ever had around every turn on the way home. She and her husband were perilously aware of the weight of responsibility that came with caring for a child. It wasn't just the diaper changes or the sleepless nights or the hours spent nursing that induced fear. She writes, The world that my daughter entered is more interesting and challenging than the hospital. In this world, she is a body, but she is also more than a body. In this world, there is more to honoring the body than simply keeping it clean and dry. In this world, my daughter will need not only to be bathed and fed, but also to be embraced and respected, offered freedom and love. In this world, when the body is honored, the whole person is honored. And when the body is dishonored, the whole person is harmed. 
As any parent or grandparent has surely witnessed, our relationship with our bodies begins when we are in infancy, in those early weeks and months when a baby discovers that he has toes or looks into a mirror and realizes that the image she, she sees is herself. Living with two toddlers is a daily lesson in the joyful exploration of the sheer capacity of our bodies. Mom, watch what I can do, is the refrain as my children discover their capacity to climb and jump and splash and dance and run, and on occasion to push one another to reclaim their own personal space or simply to annoy the, the other one. The discovery of the capacity of our bodies comes along with the discovery of the vulnerability of our bodies. Our freezer remains stocked with Boo Boo Bunny ice packs for the daily bumps that come with learning both what your body can do and what it cannot. And we go through more frozen and Peppa Pig band-aids than necessary to heal wounds both real and imaginary. And each of these steps is necessary because as we grow, we build a relationship with our body that will govern how we understand our relationship with ourselves and with the world. My daughter Molly has a painting above her bed with a portion of Psalm 139. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. As she and Jack and all children discover the gifts of their bodies, my prayer is that the echo of the psalmist's praise will become their own. To see their bodies as gifts from God invites them to consider how they honor their own bodies and that of their neighbors by responding to the basic human needs that we all share. The need to be sheltered and nourished, protected and loved in a way that bears witness to God. This practice of honoring the body through food and rest and exercise and self-compassion is a spiritual discipline in the same way that prayer and scripture reading and daily devotions are, despite the fact that it doesn't often seem to make the checklist of ways to be a good Christian. Their childhood wonder and discovery allows me to daily witness the gift that is having a body. The problem, of course, is that somewhere along the line, outside forces begin to narrate and color the relationship we have with our bodies in ways that are often detrimental to the sacred work of honoring God through the skin that we live in. Before we are even teenagers, our bodies become objectified, commodified, and judged by the world around us in ways that can completely destroy our ability to look at our body and say this, this body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every diet solution advertised on TV, every ad in the grocery store checkout offering an easy ticket to lose 10 pounds in 10 days, every wrinkle cream to stop aging, every subtle message 
about a woman's ideal beauty or a man's desired strength impacts the way that we perceive our bodies not as blessings for which we can be grateful, but as objects to be perfected. And when our relationship with our own bodies is no longer a sacred gift, but an object that we can try to control, then our ability to objectify others' bodies is an easy next step. If our bodies are merely objects to be fixed and not sacred gifts woven together by our Creator, then bodies can be bought and sold for one's pleasure, abused for the sake of power, controlled through systems of oppression, and denied worth if they do not fit our societally prescribed definitions of beauty or ability or worth. Much of our brokenness in the world reflects a relationship with the body that is out of sync. But God tells us a different story. God's story begins with breath and dirt, the dust from which we come and the dust to which we shall return. When God's Spirit animated our creation as human beings made in the divine image, God looked upon us and said, that's very good. To be in relationship with God requires us to consider our relationship with our bodies made in God's image. Just as God made humanity stewards of all creation, of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and everything that has breath, God also made us stewards of our own bodies and invites us to view our body as a gift through which we can delight and for which we must care. Navigating these waters is, of course, not easy. Among the many characters in Scripture who had complicated relationships with their bodies, King David was surely one. He was the scrawny teenage boy, the runt of the litter in the lineup of brothers, who would much rather play his lyre in the field with the sheep than fight a battle. And yet Samuel chose him to be king. David gets pushed out on the battlefield, weighed down in the protective armor, becoming of a real soldier to take on Goliath. But it is only when he strips himself of that armor and dares to make his body vulnerable that he is able to succeed. And in, we, in the end, we learn that sometimes our body's vulnerability is our strength, and even a giant's body is mortal. In his position as king, David abuses his power for the sake of his body's sexual desire, not only dishonoring Bathsheba's body, but willingly sacrificing her husband's body in battle. His track record for how he treats women's bodies leaves a lot to be desired. So suffice it to say, David's relationship with his body and with other bodies held all of the complexity that our relationships with our bodies do. And yet, when it comes to what it looks like to worship God, David embraced the gift of his body 
to honor God in meaningful ways. Scripture says David went and brought up the ark of God to the city of David with rejoicing, and he danced before the Lord with all his might, girded in a linen ephod. Much to my chagrin, biblical scholars are pretty clear that David didn't actually dance in his underwear. But his relationship with his body in this scene offers us hints at what honoring God with our bodies might look like. Rather than worrying about royal appearances, David put on a simple robe. Rather than relegating others to praise God on his behalf, David used his own body to give glory to God through dance. I know this makes the frozen chosen Presbyterians and the recovering Baptists among us uncomfortable, but if we follow David's lead in this sacred dance party, not only is our body a gift from God, but a gift to be freely used to praise. And when David's dancing was done, Scripture says that David ensured that everyone had something to be fed. Not only is our body to be used for delight and celebration before the Lord, but our bodies are to be nourished and cared for, sustained through the gifts of the earth. David may have a complicated relationship with his body, as we do with ours, but he seemed to understand that our bodies are a gift to delight in and to tend. And thankfully, David is not our only witness. God was, in fact, so clear about the importance of our bodies that we worship a God who was embodied, fully present in a particular human body that lived in a particular time and place in the body of Jesus of Nazareth. God was incarnate, enfleshed in a body that ate and drank, slept and woke, touched and received touch. Perhaps the greatest scandal of the Christian faith is that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That the God of the universe would live and move and have its being in a human body points to the fact that bodies matter to God. Stephanie Paulsell points to Jesus' relationship with other, others' bodies and his own to help us understand what a sacred relationship with our own body might look like. She writes, whenever Jesus patted mud into the eyes of one who could not see, or touched a leper, or sat at the bedside of the sick and dying. He taught those around him how God sees and honors the body. But in the course of his ministry, he also received care from those who could see as God sees. Once a woman entered a house where Jesus was having supper and began weeping over his feet and wiping them dry with her tears. When Mary of Bethany poured out a pound of perfume and rubbed it into Jesus' feet in this morning's text, Judas Iscariot was scandalized by what he believed to be a waste of resources. 
But these women did not see with the eyes of those who despise bodies on the margins, nor with the eyes of those for whom value could only be measured in money. They looked on Jesus' body with the eyes of God. They knew how he was made. They remembered that he was dust. They knew he had come from God and was going to God. And so they honored his body with perfume and reverenced his body's fragility with tears. And so this is our task also, to learn how to see our bodies and the bodies of others through the eyes of God. To learn to see the body as both fragile and deeply blessed. To remember the body's vulnerability and to rejoice in the body as a sign of God's gracious bounty. And so we are called back to God's words in Genesis that we are all stewards of God's creation, including our own bodies made in the divine image. So often when we talk about stewardship, we limit ourselves to conversations about money. But perhaps we need to think more expansively. Because when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with costly perfume, caring for the body honored God in a way that 300 denarii could not. And the beauty of thinking about stewardship as an embodied practice, as a spiritual discipline that we can do in our own skin, is that it's a practice open to us all. Earthly riches have no weight on our ability to honor God as stewards of our bodies. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity in wor to worship with a local L'Arche community, a community of refuge, care, and friendship for those with and without disabilities. We gathered that morning in a small upper room, we sang familiar songs together. And those with disabilities whom the world might look upon as invaluable or broken bodies offered a richness and a freedom in their praise that was unlike any other. Some danced like David. Others swayed. Others simply nodded to the beat. But there was no question that the bodies that they had been given by God were more than worthy and able to offer praise to their loving creator. When the time came for the offering, I felt this sense of awkwardness well up inside of me. These were individuals who, for the most part, didn't had, have jobs. Some had fixed incomes, and so I sat there thinking, are these worship leaders really going to pass the plate and ask them to give of their limited resources? But the pastor, who is much wiser than I, stood up and said, each of you is a beloved child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And what God wants is for us to give our whole selves, our whole lives, our whole bodies to God in praise. 
So we're going to pass the plate around this morning, he said. And I want each of you to place your hand in the plate and to think about the ways that you can use your body, your whole self, to give glory and love to God. And there it was. The pastor had learned to see our bodies through the eyes of God. Standing amidst those who the, Lord, the world looked upon as broken and imperfect, aware of the complexity and fragility and mortality of each of us, we were reminded that above all, our bodies are a gift from God through which we can honor and love our Creator. So whether you hold a post-worship dance party in your living room, or simply eat a good meal to taste and see that the Lord is good. Whether you work toward justice for bodies that are objectified, or simply stand in the mirror and look upon your own body with a new measure of grace. Whether you revel in what your body can still do, or allow your tired body a good Sabbath rest. May you find a way this day like David, like Mary of Bethany, like those gathered for worship in that upper room, to steward the gift of your body, to honor and glorify God.